When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cricket is always worth celebrating. So Beer 52 are offering our listeners eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com slash middle and just cover the $5.95 for the postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every month. Every case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, and all over the USA and Europe. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. And if you do change your mind at any point, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. Just go to beer52.com slash middle to get your first case of eight beers for $5.95. That's the word beer, numbers 52.com slash middle. Cricket is back and in full swing. William Hill is the place to be for cricket punters this year with a suite of offers across all formats of the game, domestically and internationally. Check out all William Hill's in-play offers along with all the latest odds and promotions at williamhill.com or on the free app. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. My name is Myers Jupp. I am joined as ever by a 95 mile an hour Ashes winning, World Cup winning bowler Mark Wood of Ashington CC. Hello, Miles. How are you, Mark? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, actually, all things considered. What have you been doing, Miles? Tell me what you've been doing. I'm interested in you today. I have been taking life reasonably easy, if I'm perfectly honest, uh, watching a lot of IPL, reading. I've read some fantastic books lately, including uh, Nathan Lemon's book, in which you feature. I've, been, I've read Catch-22. I've read the new Jonathan Coe novel. So tell me about uh, Nate's book. Nate's Nate. For those that's Nathan, is that, that's, is, your, that's uh, the one that you're most interested in, are you? Well, not, he's our analyst. Not Catch Twenty Two. Yeah. Well, it's 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 about statistics and analysis, I suppose, but it's about you know certain commonly held beliefs within the sort of game about approaches that turn out to be to be wrong, and um, you know some of it's sort of anecdotal, uh, and some of it's you know just sort of very deep trenchant uh, analysis of the game. So it's quite it's quite numbers heavy. So so do you believe in stats, Miles? Do I believe that in using them or that so are you a stats driven person do you think when you look at cricket do you look at the do you think the stats are a true reflection or are you someone that thinks you just purely like watch on them and feel the game this sounds like the sort of answer that's a sort of a cricket equivalent of a politician would give but i imagine there is a way of you know, ma- you know, balancing the two of them, marrying up and you think sometimes you've got to go with gut instinct you don't oh. want to be the sort of person that goes oh i'll just check no, no, 75% of wide Yorkers in the last over of a T20 game mm. are simply hit out to the sweeper at extra cover. I think that would be a very boring way of, you know, I'd, I'd like it if captains every now and again, oh, I don't know, just bowl a bouncer, do whatever. Uh, you know, I, th- I, you think, I think cricket need, needs a little bit of do whatever, as does, like, you know, you know, like when you go to a cocktail bar, Mark, and you just 
just say, oh, surprise me, to the barman. I think that is, you've got to do that sometimes, rather than going, oh, 85% of the time I order a dry martini, I feel a bit ill the next day. Um, that's because you have nine of them, you mad idiot. Um, I think it's perfectly acceptable to be a bit more sort of uh, spontaneous sometimes. Don't don't drink uh, espresso martinis after three in the morning because you will struggle to get much written the next day. Those sorts of things you can use you can use data in that mm. way. Don't invite Kenneth; he's really drunk and handsy. Uh, those sorts of things, that kind of that kind of data. Um, I don't know anyone called Kenneth. Um, he is a straw man. Uh, are you do you when people bring up then data and stuff in the dressing room? Do you think, oh God, or do you think, oh, all right? No, no, I, I think there's definitely a place for it, obviously, Nath. Um, with Do you the, ever think, how am I supposed to remember all of this? No, I think it's it It depends how much you want to dive into it. Like, for me, when we look at batsmen as a bowler, I look at, you know, how best to get them out. And when they're, they're particularly trying to smash it, where will they look to hit it? Um, and often during the game, you'll be adapting. So you'll speak to the captain, you, you'll know... The, the blueprint of where they score and, and numbers, as these Nath is called, a, a fitting name, obviously. Uh, oh, why is, why is that? Uh, uh, <laughs> he's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we he, just had to think of a new name because he wanted us to stop calling him trousers. <laughs> so uh, he um, he will have all the data and he puts will put things on the wall, um, like little um, cards of each player and where they're good to go, like where they score. Um, where they'll look to play maybe early on in the power play, where they'll look to play later on. So you've got as much information as you want need. Me personally, I, I like to go on a bit more good feel having looked at that stuff, but I wouldn't do it too much. So there is a place for it. And I think it is you're, you're a bit more, ooh, surprise me, Barman. Yes, maybe a little bit more that Any, way. But, anything with an umbrella. But things, things have surprised me, which we have looked at the data. So there was one uh, thing that I would tell you about in the World Cup. Chris Gale, I was feeling really wide at third man. And I was thinking, Chris Gale, why would he ever hit it to wide third man? Like, he smacks it down the ground, he, like, picks it up like side. And they were they were saying, actually, it's a wicket-taking option. And the fact that when he tries to hit the ball straight, if we can get the ball to move away from him, he sort of will will catch the splice and will fly down to wide third man. And, of course, I was feeling that wide third man, thinking, well, I'm never going to feel the ball here. Little did I know that in the next over, Chris Wilkes balls when he spices it, I run in and drop the catch. Um, so maybe I should have paid more attention. But I think it's probably important in 2020 to have a couple of things made, honestly, because it's it's draining. It's because it's so fast paced, and you're in the next over, and then it's quickly in the next and the next, and you've got to be on it as soon as you're on. You kind of like flow into a spell. So actually, you've probably got like a couple of things on each batter, and Morgs takes that pressure off you as captain, which, which he's really good at. And then you you're into it, and you've just got to be like, right, I know he plays this shot well. We'll cover. Or I'll try and pull it here. Let's cover the, this side of the ground. Or let's do this. Or... What do you imagine is more stressful, Mark? Playing in a T20 game or acting in a play? What do, what do I think is more stressful? Have you done both? Obje- <laughs> oh, I have, I have done both, actually. Um, but I, don't, I, I played in a sort of T20 game for um, the Test Match Special 60th anniversary. I did find it quite stressful. You know those sort of... Um, are they called data bras? You wear these things that look like... Oh, GPS units. I did like bras. Data bras. I think, I think everyone else calls them data bras. <laughs> um, you, need to, you need to sort of... That's, that's what they're called in Urban Dictionary. That's on the street. If you put, like, a- actors on a press night, if you made them wear GPS vests... We'll accept, we'll accept vests, yeah. And just saw who got more... Who, got, who was experiencing greater stress. Of course, obviously, the, the further that is about how good they are at dealing with stress in advance of that situation, I suppose. Like, if you train to be an HGV driver, the first time you're told to bay park, you know, like an HGV or whatever, I imagine that's that's quite terrifying. Or your first lesson as a teacher, something like that. In terms of mm. just trying to think, what 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 a sort of that was that is yeah. Sorry, we've got this really eccentric postman. Uh, he will not use the doorbell. He just opens the letterbox and always makes that noise. Um, I'm wondering if perhaps, yeah, after this podcast, I'm going to have to do some, I'm going to have to be slightly more helpful about the house. I would, I would hate to do teaching and age. Like all those things I think would be so stressful. So I'm going to say all of them things, T20, pretty not as stressful. But also, of course, the thing is that they're all things that you're like, 
the people doing them are trained for. It's not like as a sort of taking like in a sort of channel four way, just get a normal person and right, they've got to suddenly right, you're you're teaching geography tomorrow to thirty pupils or whatever. The day after that you're turning out for <laughs> you're turning out for um Delhi Capitals. You know, the 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 day after that you're 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 opening in a Western play or whatever. You know, if you're doing stand up in front of three thousand people, you think, God, this is there's quite a lot of that's quite a lot of them. You know, if you're doing Latitude Festival or whatever. And I thought to to keep being in that situation, you know, the number of people, you know, watching on TV when you're doing a game, if you, if you take a step back from it and think about how stressful is just the doing of this. I know you spend all your day practicing, all your, your life practicing up these, these these skills and whatever, but actually, and and then on the day you're doing it, there's going to be X million people. So I've got my, my I've got my methods of going through training and you revert back to your training. Not out. That's the... Um, begging for it. Yeah, yeah, that's the Hermes man. He d- he's, <laughs> he's got exactly the same approach. Sometimes I wonder if it's the same guy. Anyway, you know, he's just taking two salaries. So I, I, have, I have my training. Like, you revert back to your training when you're under pressure and stuff and, you know, stuff like that. When you're in front of standard, what's, what's your stuff? So how... how this all... I picture them all naked. That kind of be true. No, no. I In a way... In a way, I don't know what the approach is because sometimes it's it's... It's almost like a compartmentalizing whereby you're not, you're basically your body doesn't let your brain know you're stressed. So your back might start to really hurt. And you think, why is that hurting? And it's because you're taking all the stress into sort of your your muscles or whatever. And sometimes it's a matter of just. So, so if someone doesn't, so you've got a joke that everyone, you think everyone will laugh at, but they don't laugh. How, how do you then, do you just cut, like, do you just reset and, and do the next one? Well, or? you just gotta, you just gotta crack on, really. That's never happened to me. I've never done that before. No, no, no. Yes, I can't imagine what one would do. It must feel <laughs> awful. No, well, it depends, because I've got my sort of delivery is quite conversational and stuff. You can almost make it look like it wasn't there. Or if you're, you know, or there's a son of, oh, fair enough. Uh, or whatever it might be, but just keep moving because you, you've got to do it. But it's more like in a play or whatever where there's other people on stage with you and you've got to get it right. Because you couldn't imagine that, could you, if you got a first baller, could you? Oh, fair enough. I don't know. That's the sort of Kane Williamson, you know, shame, eh? Yeah. You know, amazing yeah. Yeah. attitude. Yeah. You know, I said to Alistair Cook, I'm, I'm like at a sort of TV awards thing about being sort of frightened of pace building. He's like, hey, no, frightened. Why would you be frightened? And I thought, really? But maybe part of his coping is going... Well, I'm not going to tell people I'm frightened, like Paul Collingwood does, or whatever. But the actual stress of what people are doing, quite apart from sort of COVID bubbles and things like that, is phenomenal. And I think it's easy to get, it's easy, it gets, it gets sort of forgotten in the debate. Um, Mark, you do this thing, famously, people are always stopping me in the street and talking to me about it. What's it like to be the timer in uh, Mark Wood's Super Over? And I say, well, it's, to be honest, it's one of the greatest privileges in my life. You know, um, I absolutely love it. And then occasionally people say... And you do it very well, of course, Miles. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks very much. But I also, I, you know, I do spend a lot of time preparing for it, constantly timing if things are 90 seconds or not. Um, but what I've often wondered is, wouldn't it be exciting if I could ask the questions in Super Over? So I'm going to do that now, if you don't mind. We're going to have... Um, I'm going to still call it Mark Wood's Super Over because I can't bear the thought of it being called something else. But I'm going to ask the questions, and it really is maybe to make it clearer what's going on. We should call it Mark Woods, Mark Woods Super Over, because uh, you're going to answer the questions, and I'm going to ask them, Mark. Okay? Hit me. You know the rules. Mm. Okay. Oh, I, I t- I'll tell you what. So, I, should I be timing my own? Yeah, go on, yeah, go on. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as well. It's probably not as easy as I make it look. All right, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. And go. How do you like your eggs in the morning? I like man with the kids. Lovely. Favourite Robson Green show? I shall have a fishy on the little dishy. I shall have a fishy <laughs> when the boat comes in. He wasn't in that. What was the last thing you stole? I stole a, an action figure on Holder, which we man met back and apologised for and paid for it. as a pirate. Arr! I didn't really start doing this podcast to be associated with a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Name three types of dog. Labrador, King, uh, Cotter King Spaniel and a poodle. First dance at your wedding. Let it go, James Bear. Um, name two England colleagues you could bench press. Obviously, because I'm mega strong, Johnny Bestow and Tamar Mills on top of each other. Very impressed. Um, if you had to go back to the uh, the bad old days of roommates on tour, who would be the best? Well, me and Stokes have roomed together before and I've had a few misdemeanors. So I'm going to count Ben Stokes out. We once broke a mirror with an apple trying to play a catching game. That went badly wrong. 
Uh, sorry, um, I digress with the time of things. Uh, who would I most like to be with? Chris Wilkes, great man. That was not the question. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> would you rather take five? <laughs> would you rather take five for 50 or six for 150? Six for. Name a type of spoon. Wouldn't. Uh, you're going on Celebrity MasterChef, mainly because you want to get a selfie to, with Tarot and Wallace. What's your signature dish? Just pure gravy. <laughs> You've got 10 minutes to put together an outfit for trick-or-treating. Um, what are you going as? A, a, a ghost? A sheet ghost? Sheet? Sheet ghost. Uh, your Prime Minister for the day. Never mind your policies. Just what day of the week would you choose? Sunday, the Lord's Day. Uh, light meters, a source of joy or pain? Pain. Uh, sing the first song that comes into your head. Oobladi, oobladda. Uh-huh. Name three castles in Northumberland. Oh, Bamborough, Walkworth, Annick. Cream or custard? Custard cream. Weasel or ferret? Ferret. Lovely. How long was that? How long was that? Three minutes. Three minutes. Uh, to be to be Three honest. Three minutes. To be honest, I threw you with the beds. Uh, what was that question with the roommates thing? I, I, I just I thought it was like I, the first question. Well, it was going to be who would be the best roommate and who'd be the worst. You answered the who'd be the best roommate with a heartbreaking story of a time that um, Ben Stokes and you damaged a mirror with an apple. Yeah, there was. It was in South Africa. We were in one of those. Um, Protea hotels, and they, they always put apples on like a little stand on the wall. The apple stand, yeah, the apple stand. Yeah, yeah well, one day I'd, we were rooming together, and we were sort of like That's what they do in all nice hotels. And then we started trying to catch it one hand and stuff like that. And then stupidly, I thought, can I get the apple back on the stand from throwing it from my bed? And I threw it straight in the mirror, and the mirror smashed. Luckily, though, a guy Jackson bit blamed Stokesy. He mustn't have thought I must have had that good an arm. So. The, the uh, team manager. I, I still remember the quote of this day. Well, we've been here before, haven't we, Ben? And I just thought, well, I'll leave the room now. <laughs> <laughs> I was once um, in Norfolk filming. I don't know if you've seen it. It was for Sky Arts. It was a version of the Goldsmith play, She Stoops to Conquer. I was playing catch with an egg with a mate. And for, I don't know why I did it. It was my friend Joe Thompson. We were playing catch with a raw egg in in someone's kitchen and I stood out of the way of one of his throws, and the egg hit the wall, and egg went all the way up the wall and stopped millimetres short of this picture frame. And the picture did not, it wasn't glazed. And someone came in and said, who just did that? And I was like, oh, sorry, that was us. And um, they were like, that, is a, that painting is by Vanessa Bell. Go- anyway, so I Googled it. It was worth 70 grand, and we nearly got an egg on it. Absolute, a couple of absolute monsters. I used to do that with my mum quite regularly, actually. She used to iron us when I was a kid. She'd, Throw eggs at her? I, she used to iron in the living room, and I'd just say, think fast and throw the egg. My me, me mother caught it as well. Unbelievable. <laughs> and then the other time, my mum used to hate us throwing stuff in the house, but I was always trying to keep the arm loose, you know, just in case anybody needed us. And I threw a couple of grapes at my dad, and um, it's he missed missed one and splattered on the wall. And then me. My dad was like, you stupid idiot, your, your mum will, will kill you for this. And he started wiping it off the wall and I took a picture. And then when my mum came down and saw it, my dad was blaming me and I showed her the photographic evidence of him cleaning it up, saying, well, it must have been him. So I'm sorry, Dad, I'm now letting all this out, but mum, it was actually me. Should we maybe just introduce this week's guest? Oh, yes, yes, let's introduce this week's guest. Yeah, I've got, uh, I know who it is, I've got a few clues. Um... Now then, can you think of a great way of using up some old sponge cake? <laughs> Maybe in a trifle? Yes. And then um, just, just, just take the word trifle for a bit of a walk. Have a little bit of a play. And can do any cricket names emerge? Truffle. Truffle. Tuffle? Simon Tuffle! I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketers Gin. Cricketers Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinkney's Green, Berkshire. Over a G&T, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketers features milk thistle, wild marjoram, and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. 
Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Welcome to Middle Please Umpire, Simon Taufel. So Simon, let's fire straight in. You two know, you, you two, have you actually ever been on a field together? Because what well, I was thinking is you retired in 2015, and that is of course the same year in which Mark made his international debut, and I wondered if there was any connection between Mark arriving on the international scene and you feeling you had no choice but to no. depart. <laughs> so, so just to be clear, 2015 I did the Warren Tendulkar series in the US, uh, in Houston, LA and New York. Now, Mark's had his last test match at Lord's, um, which is pretty much nine years to the day that I did my last test match at Lord's uh, in 2012. So there's a bit of a connection there. And the well, not the same two teams, but I actually did the 2007 series, I think, there with India and England, with that last test match at Lord's ending in a draw uh, in fading light with, uh, with Steve Buckner at the other end. Um, so good memories, but yeah. Um, so we have some synergy with sort of that but that's about it I, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear that Mark's arrived on the scene didn't hasten your departure and you didn't think oh look, look how the wind's blowing I can't, I can't be putting up with this well he's, look he's part of that front foot no ball club that I really cherish and love so much <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you look at contemporary umpires who don't have to look for front foot no balls themselves and think oh my goodness I would love to have been able to just face one direction um, no look I, I think it's part of the skill set that we develop um but for me, you know, watching the bowler's front foot actually helps with the LBW decision because we tried it back in 2004 in Champions Trophy. Funny enough, at Edgebaston, I reckon it was. Um, and I could not just not look down and watch the other end. I actually had, because it was in, in my routine. And I don't know how modern-day umpire can ignore looking down and looking up, you know, just with the eye movement and getting an idea about where the bowler's delivering the ball from as part of the LB. I, I just don't get it. For me, technology breeds mediocrity. Um, it dumbs down the process to the point where artificial intelligence actually um, starts to replace our normal routines and judgments. And as a result, we de-skill ourselves. Um, and, uh, you know, I often get asked quite a lot, do I prepare differently for various forms of the game? And, Mark, you're probably hopefully the same as me, that probably 95% of your prep is pretty much all the same. And then you just vary it depending upon the format, the opposition, the, the venue, the, the conditions that you're going to go into. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how they do it. And technology yeah, does breed mediocrity. Yeah, no, I agree with that actually, Miles. If, I, if I'm thinking of my routine, I like to be, you know, I'm not someone that's like over, you know, straight, 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 but I like to have a routine of, so I feel like I've covered everything. And everything that I've covered is pretty much 95% like he says the same through every format. The only thing I might do different is like maybe I'm trying to slow a ball in one day as a yoga or something like that. But actually the you know um, routine of going through uh, the process of visualizing and, and getting your run up right and the feel and everything like that, how the ball feels out your hands, hitting the top of the stumps, all that is exactly the same every time. Um, I just wonder like, it, it's, a, it's an umpire. If a ball I was to say to you, Am I getting tight? Does that ring alarm bells in your head straight away, or are you just solely concentrated on every ball? Look, I love I love building a rapport with bowlers. I love um, having some small exchanges to build a relationship, to build a, a working relationship with a bowler. And I I believe that good umpiring is all about solving problems before they happen. And if I can get you back, and if I can say, you know, Mark, you're tight, you need to come back. That keeps me out of the game. I think that umpires, you know, should be out of the game as much as possible. And for me, my style of umpiring was, if you're close, I'll get you back. If a batsman's starting to creep on and run on the pitch, I'll get him off. If a fielder's getting too close to a fielding breach, like a fielding restriction, I'll say, hang on, are we right? Is everyone in the circle? Now, um, I, I believe keeping the umpires out as much of the game as we can, keeping the focus on the players... Um, who wants to come and see a game of cricket with me sticking my arm out? Really? Um, I have to say, I'm know, actually and, bang up for that, Simon. <laughs> yeah. 
I like I like uh, to see people taking charge. If anything, I like rough discipline. Um, but <laughs> well, what, what would be the equivalent with a batsman? In terms of you saying, like, with fielders, yeah. we check everyone's in the circle, or with bowlers saying, yeah, you're getting a bit tight. What would be the equivalent with a batsman in terms of building yeah, rapport? So, so normally with the batting side, you know, sometimes they'll start to run on the pitch, you know, and you'll give them a, a caution or a friendly and say, you know, look, you need to come off quicker, etc. And if they respond, mission accomplished. You know, we don't need to go down that formal route. Mohammed Yusuf um, from Pakistan was a really fascinating one because I umpired him quite a lot. And he's one of those funny batsmen who would come down to the non-strikers end after playing a leg glance and say, was I falling too far across? And I'd normally respond by saying, mate, I'm just worrying about what I'm doing. But, yeah, I'm glad you hit that one. You know, it was good. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny looking at you now as a retired umpire on the basis that, you know, and I'm only I'm only 42, but as a when I was a child watching cricket on television, umpires always seemed to me to be considerably older than you are now. Yeah. And yet you were what 27, 28 when you became an international umpire. 27 ODI debut, 29 first Test match. Uh, yes, yeah, so there was really a fascinating introduction because I, I suppose I started my international career officiating players that I'd almost finished playing with. You know, when I played under 19 for New South Wales uh, schoolboys, I had Michael Slater, Gilchrist in that side. And here I was perhaps officiating them at the, at the international level. So in one way, it was great because I could leverage a little bit off those relationships. But I found that the contemporaries in my age group actually put a lot more pressure on me to perform and to let my umpiring do the talking for it. Where if I compared myself to a David Shepherd, I didn't have that generational gap of uh, being able to tell the players what to do or to command or deserve some of that generational respect. It was all about pure performance. And I was only as good as my last stuff up or only as good as my last game. And I really, I loved that because I wanted to earn the players' respect um, first and foremost. I didn't want to necessarily leverage off any generational gap that was between me and them. But did you find, say, that if you were... I mean, there would have been people playing in the games that were older than you. Was the, the was the ap- atmosphere with them sort of slightly different than with your contemporaries? I mean, when you're, you know, like when a young policeman tells you off or whatever, very upsetting. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, I, look, I learned, um, look, uh, when I was coming through, I had a mentor in New South Wales by the name of Ted White. Now, Ted only did one test, but he was, he, he did something like 43 first-class matches in a row at the SCG, a record that will never be broken. And Ted was very big on the apprenticeship. And he, he really said to me one day, he said, look, slow down. Don't be in a hurry to get anywhere. Uh, do as many games as you can. Make as many mistakes as you can. Learn as much as you can before you hit the big time and before you burn yourself in front of TV cameras. And I think that's really good advice about um, not being in a, in a hurry to, to fail in terms of the big time. And I took that advice on board and, and what it meant for me was coming into still, even, even though you think you're ready, every, every step up is a new environment. And, and I know it's just a game of cricket, but there are new challenges on top. And one of the challenges with international cricket when you break through is distractions. There are so many more people who want a piece of you, whether that's friends and family who want free tickets whether it's um, the media who want um, a comment because it might be your debut. And there are senior, more experienced players who you don't know. And part of your biggest challenge is to bridge this familiarity gap. Because they haven't seen you, because they don't know you, often they think, where's this guy come from? You know, what's, has, has he re- earned his um, stripes to be here on this field with me? And one of the first run-ins I had was with Brian Lara and uh, he was having an argument with Michael Bevan on the field funny enough at the SCG and I thought well I'll just shut Brian down who's batting and I'll I'll let Michael take care of himself and if I can control Brian Lara mission accomplished because as Mark would probably know it's easier for an umpire to to really work with a batsman next to you than it is worrying about a fast bowler and a fielder so I tried to do that and Brian all just looked at me and said mate Shut up. We're okay. We're just we're just having a bit of an argument. We're we're fine. We've been around a lot more a lot more than you have. Don't worry about us. 
And so I learned really quickly about picking my moment, about when to step in, particularly around really experienced players like a Brian Lara, who's been around for ages. Um, so you, you learn different things at different levels with different personalities. So on that, did you, do you treat, say, the personality difference? So, for example, like if you, if you were in Jimmy Anderson, you wouldn't necessarily yep. want to try and have a laugh with him because he's, uh, he's not that way inclined all the time. But So <laughs> would, you, would you pick your, your sort of moments with it or your different personalities and try and work off them? Yeah, very much, Mark. So what I've learned in my career, particularly around conflict management, which is what I work with with corporate people and other sports people, to manage conflict really well, it's about managing the person and managing the issue and never trying to get the two mixed up. Because often if you're having a talk with Jimmy about, you know, um, running on the pitch, he'll make it about you. You know, why are you picking on me again? Um, and, and so I've got to take that back to the issue, which is, Jimmy, mate, your second step's in there. I've spoken to you twice. You need to come out. If you come out, we're not having this discussion. So let's keep it focused on the issue. Is that, is that what Jimmy's like, Woody? Is he, is he like one of those people that argues with traffic wardens? As if like they're taking away their rights or whatever. You're like, I'm not. I'm not infringing on your human rights. I'm literally pointing. I'm implementing the laws of the land. You can't. You can't park on double yellows, Jimmy. I think. I think at times he will look for that fight with whether it's the umpire, whether it's the batsman. Because when he gets on the field, when he crosses the white line, Jimmy's someone that you know is ultra competitive with anything that he does, and he's looking for anything to just get him going. And I'm sure there's like there's Aussies like that. I mean, that's very different for someone like myself, who actually. In a recent game, Miles, like we know, um, we probably got over emotional trying to bowl a bummer and things like that. So actually, the fun element is this is the side that would help me perform best. So for Jimmy, like if he was if the umpire was there and he was saying things, I mean, he's probably got a little bit more, you know, as he's played so much cricket, he, he probably knows people well enough and knows himself. But I think he actually feeds off that a little bit. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I agree with that. And I think the other thing that the umpire really has to do with a guy like Jimmy is show a bit of empathy. You know, because obviously the bowlers do do it tough, you know, inside edges, drop catches, tight appeals turned down. And really, just if you're able to say, hey, Jimmy, I understand it's hot, I understand you're frustrated, however, you need to do this for us. And there's a match referee up there who'd love to take some money off you, so let's not give him any extra paperwork at the end of the day. So, <laughs> so can you come with me and, and work with me? And normally that, you know, that type of, uh, you know, can you turn turn it into a bit of a, not not a laugh or a humorous thing, but can you put it in a different way that he's more likely to respond to? But they've got, I mean, they, I suppose they've got to have respect for the match referee, either, haven't they? You can't really be saying, let's try and avoid paperwork because Chris Brawl's got an invitation to a barbecue or whatever. You've got to kind <laughs> well, of... One of the, yeah, yeah, but, Miles, one of the misconceptions is, is, is people think that the match referee does all the reporting. And in fact, the referee does no reporting. It's actually the umpires who actually put pen to paper at the end of the day and say, you know what? we are going to lay a charge against this particular player and then they put it in front of the match referee who decides what to do with it. Smoke screen. You see, Miles, they never tell with this. They never yeah. tell with this. This is the first time I've heard <laughs> yeah, it. No idea. These umpires are rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've learned in my career with dealing with high-profile coaches and players is that they all want consistency, but they don't want it all the time. They only want it when it suits them uh, in their pursuit of winning a match or winning a series. Um, so, you know, so guys like Duncan Fletcher are always fun to deal with because uh, when something went their way, you'd never see them. If they feel like they were getting a hard deal, they'd come and knock on the door and say, hey, what's going on? Are we playing LBWs today or what? It does, yeah, it vaguely reminds me, I can't remember which country it is. There's one country that seems to think they know exactly where the line is that should never be crossed. But I, can't, <laughs> I just can't think who that is. Um, who, how, you couldn't possibly have become an umpire without being obviously like a, a, a very big cricket fan. So I was wondering in that case, how do you sort of compartmentalise when you're umpiring? Yeah. I mean, although you're the one making the decisions that will affect the end result, are there games which are so good, so exciting, that although you're in the thick of it, you're thinking, how's this one going to end up? Yeah, good question. Uh, look, for me, the way I umpired was to desensitise myself from the game, the players and the teams. Uh, I genuinely did not care who won. I didn't care who was batting. I didn't care who was bowling. The only thing I cared about was my performance and my role in the match to keep myself off the back page or off the front page. And the best way I could do that for me was just to look at the pads and look at the ball and, and make decisions 
in isolation, not to become emotionally engaged or involved in the contest. And if anything, I actually enjoyed it when Australia lost, particularly in ICC events with one coming up, because that meant that I would normally have, hopefully, a better chance going forward to the pointy end based on neutrality. Um, because the way that we are assessed is based on performance. And, you know, I think one of the great things about the ICC system now is, is that it's not about the umpire. It's not about the colour of their passport. It's about whether they get their decisions right and whether they actually perform very well. And I think that's a really good thing that you take that biased, unfairness argument off the table. So you you can, I suppose, you can almost not look at the scoreboard, can't you? You can... You need to count to, the number yeah. of balls in and over, and you need to know the time. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. You can. You, best, there's a lot of the game you can just sort of blank out. Yeah, my best games are when I don't look at the scoreboard at all, and where I say, "Where did that session go? You know, are we there already?" Um, because that means that I'm in the zone. I'm actually not worrying about. I'm overthinking the game. I'm just. I'm thinking less and just doing. And for me, that's what it's all about. And I don't care whether. I think one of the rare times. There's only been a couple of instances I can think about where I've gone, wow, how good is this? I was doing an IPL match in Mumbai, Wanketi Stadium, and Mark, you might relate to this, but I've got Mumbai coming out to bat and I've got Tendulkar and Ponting coming out to bat to open the batting. I'm, and I'm, look, I'm thinking I'm in the middle of Wanketi with all these people around, bloody noisy, and I've got two of these legends coming out to open the batting. I'm thinking, wow, this is all right. But I never really <laughs> stood back. At most of my times, and thought, how lucky am I? And I've had Warren Bowl from my end. I've had Miralitharin. I've had Glenn McGrath. You wow, know, I can't believe that. You've never, you've never been in like awe of like a, a bowling spell or a batsman. That's amazing. That that's amazing. No, no, I don't care. Uh, I really don't care because. And you know what? That, that 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 that's a brilliant way of thinking about it. Because then, actually, what you're saying about you doing your method, being in, the, in control of what you're doing, makes you a better umpire, I guess. So that, that's actually a great way of thinking about it. But I, I, I'm amazed by that. Well, they're not worried about my umpiring. They're not worried about, oh, I've got Simon standing there, so why should I be worried about them? Mm. And when the, when the match is over or when the series is finished, or even if I look back on my career now, I can think about, well, how, how lucky was I to umpire some of the, the best that we've seen in our generation? That's fantastic. But the downside is, Miles, to your question, I really haven't experienced the the wow factor, um, and that's just the way I umpire. That's just me, and that's how I get the best out of me. That's a great answer. But can, can you get that sort of joy back now? I mean, now that you've not got a, a foot in the camp, can you just sit and watch TV as a pure fan? No, no, oh, I'm, no. I'm a terrible cricket watcher. Uh, I hate watching cricket from a, uh, a game perspective, but I love watching cricket from an umpire's perspective because I watch the umpires. So that's just that's just the way I am. You're, so you're more of an umpire fan than a cricket fan. Well, I, I watch that's... officiating out of interest to see what they're doing and why they're doing it, um, because I'm still involved in mentoring. I'm still involved in some coaching. So who who impresses you at the minute? Well, I, look, I think there's a number. Look, Michael Goff's umpiring extremely well at present. I think Nitin Menon is umpiring extremely well. Um, we are blessed with some really good talent going around. Um, you know, the elite panel is very solid. Um, and there were a couple of standouts. You know, Kumar Damasin has been a very good umpire for a long period of time. He's great. He actually, I get on really well with him, actually, from, from another country. He's, he's one with that rapport. He's definitely yeah. one, one that he gives you a little bit back. And um, at times I felt, not a name, but at times I felt Aleem was a bit hard because he doesn't speak good English. And it's actually, with a Geordie accent, it's actually quite hard for him to understand what I'm saying. So, um, but Kumar... Um, yeah, it's always I've always felt like he's sort of you get the I've getting on well with him. Yeah, and Maria Rasmus has got a wonderful demeanour for yeah. me. You know, he's got got one of the lowest heart rates in world umpiring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to think that we just don't dumb down umpiring with lots of technology, and because there's so much more to it, we are we are in the people business, you know, and I think managing players, managing conflicts creating an environment of cooperation and good spirit is just as important for me as getting a court behind right. So when you're, um, say, in the corporate world, talking about conflict resolution and stuff, what mm. what were the mistakes or just situations uh, from which you learnt most? I mean, obviously, someone like Andre Nell would be exhausting to deal with. <laughs> there are a number of fast bowlers that do just sort of get 
very pent up and very much locked away in their own world, and they forget what they're where they are and what they're doing. But Andre for <laughs> me is just very misunderstood, and he's a really lovely guy. And it's a matter of just pulling him back out of the situation, saying, "Hey, mate, do you know where you are? <laughs> you know, just calm down." And just, so what, what can you, can you give learned, us the name and telephone the, number of a loved one? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I've learned the hard way is about buying time. And uh, so often a great technique for me is to just walk across to my colleague when something unusual happens or we need to talk to a player or just go and stand off to the side of of the pitch and just stop the game. You know, just pretty much say, well, I'm not ready and just make eye contact with the player concerned and just, just just stop the flow, just break that flow until we all realize, oh, hang on, why is he doing that? But I've learned most of my... Most of my skills by making mistakes, funny enough. And as I talked to you with the Brian Lara one, was about picking my moment. And I picked the wrong moment. And I really thought, well, if I did that again, when would I do it? What would be the right approach? And I talked to you about Jimmy and about managing the person and managing the issue and not getting into who's right and who's wrong, but also appealing to their better sense of judgment and saying, there's a lot of people watching this game would you be happy for your son or daughter to be watching you do this right right now? Um, is that the way you'd like them to see you? I'd crumble here. I'd absolutely crumble. I mean, no, no, Mr. Tofu, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think the headline's going to be tomorrow morning yeah. as a result of this? You know? Mark Wood cries in middle of lengthy spell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Under the pressure and scrutiny of international cricket, we all have a bad day from time to time. And I think if you can empathise with that, understand it, and try to think about what's the best option I've got in this situation and have a crack at it and commit to it, most of the time you'll be okay. So is there any decisions that keep you up at night? Because it sounds to me like that probably isn't yeah. the way that you're speaking. Um, no, there is. No, no, absolutely. It's, it's one of uh, – if I had my career over again, Mark, what I would do differently is I would talk more about my failures, more about my errors because I was the guy who'd go back to the hotel room and I'd replay a decision and an error in my head over and over and over and over again. It wore me down to the point where I I just could not get rid of it. And I've worked pre-DRS when you make a decision and you probably wouldn't find out until the drinks break when the 12th man ran on and told the team or you'd, (laughs) you'd go in for lunch or tea. Um, or one of the spectators would tell you as you walk off. And I've worked post-DRS where you've got that instant feedback and then you've somehow got to regather your thoughts and say, after I've done that terrible signal across your chest, where you've then got to back up and focus on the next ball. And that change of processing the instant feedback is bloody hard, but it's something you have to adapt really well to because if you don't, you will crumble, but um, it's one of the biggest regrets in my career that I wish I'd started my career sharing, talking, grieving faster and not replaying that decision in my head. Um, before we go on to Mark Wood's super over, I just want to ask very quickly, you've written a, a, a book, Finding Finding the Gaps. Is this, is this the yeah. sort of, do you cover your sort of regrets then and, and anxieties in the book? I, I talk about the learnings around routines, coachability, um, teamwork, um, managing conflicts, uh, bounce back ability. And I talk about what didn't go well, what I've learned, what did go well and why. And I also talk about some of the player examples that we've sort of touched on in, in this chat so far. And I'm big on sharing. You know, I, I had my worst game at Trent Bridge uh, with England and New Zealand. And I read a book on the way back called Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert, the tennis player. And I wish that I'd read that before that match because it really put me back onto the path. And it, after that game and series, I thought, this is not what I thought Test Cricket was about. And I was ready to pull the pin. And I thought, no, I'm not up to this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel this way. And I read that book and I thought, you know what? I reckon I can do this now. I reckon I now have the mental ability to avoid that vicious circle of beating yourself up after you make a mistake and 
three or four months after that worst game, I stood up um, and took out the first ICC Umpire of the Year award. If you'd said that to me then after that, that last match, I would have said you were joking. So in the book, I talk about bounce-back ability. I talk about what I've learned from research, from working with some of the great people in cricket and trying to pass that on to other people in their own discipline and how do they apply those transferable skills into what they do? Oh, great. Well, I'm, very, I'm looking forward. To, is, it an, is there an audio book? There's no audio book, but there is a Kindle book. Um, so Amazon do have a, an electronic version, yes. Super. Right. Now, well, I look forward to that. Uh, we've got time just for uh, Mark Wood's Super Over, which is, I mean, I know you've withstood some serious pressure over the years, Simon, but, I mean, <laughs> strap in. Uh, it's going to be 90... Uh, before, before I do, can I ask what, how you decided what kind of outer you would be? Like, obviously, Billy Bowden had the crooked finger, Venkat had the thing where he touched his glasses, Rudy Kitson slow <laughs> death. Did you practice in your hotel room where you're like, that's me, that no. one? No, I didn't, but but it's it's funny you mentioned Billy Bowden because I, I love him to death. Um, he's a great guy to have at a barbecue and a party, and um, but he can be very challenging to work with at times because... <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I try not to go on, if I try to go unnoticed and not be the centre of attention, Billy is almost the other end of that scale. <laughs> so it is quite unique. But <laughs> I'd say no. me and Miles. I'm honestly, I'm constantly have to dull myself down for Miles here. He's off the charts. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's my just addiction to fabulousness. Um, <laughs> I'm like I'm like Cher at the Oscars. Uh, okay, <laughs> right. So we're going to go for um, Mark Wood's Super Over. Don't don't think, just answer. Are those basically the rules? Got ninety seconds. Simon Telford, let's go now. Uh, make of your first uh, cricket bat. Duncan Fernley. Lovely. Most random celeb or important person in your phone. Uh, Dilai Lama. <laughs> Uh, favorite sandwich filling? Oh, peanut butter. Oh, nice choice. Your club needs you. Will you score or umpire? <laughs> I'd love to score at the moment. I've had enough umpiring. <laughs> <laughs> Name a song that's recently been stuck in your head. Um, by River by Cole Chisel. Mike Gatting is coming for dinner. What will you cook to impress him? <laughs> um, um, uh, I'll do a, a wonderful chicken parmigiana for Mike. Knocky uh, <laughs> nine doors, knock knock ginger, or knock and run. I have no idea what you're asking there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and you've come to the wicket to bat. What guard are you asking for? Centre, please. Oh, we'll take it. That's the Aussie version of middle piece umpire. We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, by the barest of all margins, there, Miles. We've got it in. Bang. Um, Done. Very good. I wonder, I wonder what the Aussie equivalent of knocking nine doors is. So it's basically knock and run, knock on the door, leg it. Oh, um, knock and bolt. <laughs> knock and bolt. Knock. See, Miles, we just got the lingo wrong. Knock and that's, bolt. That's what I it did, is. To be honest, I've been reeling since the Dalai Lama. That's the, that's the best. Yeah, unbelievable. Probably the first religious leader mentioned, to be honest. Um, mm. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Jack Russell knows the Pope. Um, Simon, it's been... <laughs> <laughs> Um, Simon, it's been an absolute privilege having you on. You are the first umpire to appear on Middle Please Umpire. We're unlikely to have anyone called Middle or Please ever, so you're going to have that accolade forever. Um, Thank you very much indeed for coming on. Best of luck with the book and enjoy, well, I hope you enjoy not umpiring, uh, essentially. Well, Miles, I love doing first. I was incredibly fortunate to be the first umpire to do the Cowdery Lecture, I reckon, um, back in... Or well, gee, 2013, I'm guessing now. But that was a fantastic experience. I love going places where we haven't been before. Um, it's nice to be able to talk to an international player in a non-threatening environment. That's really fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank, thanks so much for your time, bud. And I don't owe him anything. I don't owe him any favours. I haven't stopped any decisions up with him. <laughs> thanks, Miles. Thanks, thank Simon. you, Mark. Quality. Well, Simon Telfer, I, I must have seen him mumping so many times when I've been at the ground and and on television. It's quite because you just don't, you don't hear umpires. You know, maybe someone might have to come on and explain a decision or whatever. But I thought it was fascinating actually to, to get it from his point of view of you know the the methods that he goes through and the, the way that he sees the game from his end. Obviously, as a player, you have huge respect for umpires because they sort of run the game and. Uh, they make sure it flows that you you know that could be good or bad decisions or whatever. But actually, the respect is always there. So actually, it's nice to hear from his point of view how he sees the players, how he sees the game, and um, 
Yeah, it was uh, uh, bizarrely. I didn't think that he was going to say that anything would keep him up at night because like the way that he was, he, he thought of the game as just from an umpiring point of view. He didn't get emotionally attached to the game. Yeah. But actually, it seems like he put so much pressure on his own performance. On just a, doing a things like a, as well as he could do them. Yeah. like A lot like a player would as well. Yeah, that, I mean, it's something I'm amazed about with you sometimes is how much you take it on your own shoulders. And clearly that's that's a thing with, with, with him as, as well, really. And that the whole thing of seeing calm and seeing everything about it, it it's almost like, I don't mean it's, it's a false it's that's the way of doing the job well if i'm disappointed if i'm annoyed with myself part of doing this job well is to conceal that fact i suppose like if i'm doing something i don't know some nerve-wracking awards do or whatever my job is to look calm so that's what you have yeah. to do and i feel and like it's an buyer as well do you not do you think like it's even more specific than say a batsman who although they're there by themselves they have a partner at the other end and umpire has an umpire at the other end but actually you're never getting that that togetherness or, or an umpire by himself feels a type that can obviously feel very much like the focus is on you alone, not a batting partnership or a you know fielding team or a bowling a bowling partnership. Well, so, every time there, every appeal or whatever, it's it's on you all the time, isn't there? There's all these other things going on. Plus, if you you know if you play in a drawn test match, an umpire that's that's 450 overs. You're out there. You're at the you're at, you're at square leg or you're at the bowler's end, and you're you're on all the time. You know, Dretton, Dretton, they've got like a barbecue Friday night. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Give this one, we'll shoot off quickly. <laughs> I love him to say Billy Bowden, great fun at a barbecue, but slightly challenging <laughs> to work with. That is up there with the uh, Sam Mendes' description of uh, <laughs> Graham Swan. Uh, absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Um, thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode of uh, Middle Please Umpire. There will be more to come. Uh, check out the website for a fabulous range of merchandise, including new uh, bumper stickers and, of course, uh, baby grows. Uh, goodbye from me Miles Jupp and goodbye from me Mark Wood see you next time oh should be taken and is taken brilliant from Mark Wood what a spell this has been For all the latest cricket betting markets, in-play odds and promotions, visit williamhill.com or download the free app. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Sports Social Podcast Network.